The world's biggest airlines had thought the worst of the pandemic was over, but the recent spike in COVID cases and lockdowns in China shows that this is not the case. In another part of the world, a new crisis has also hit the industry. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sent the price of oil skyrocketing and introduced flight bans around the world. My name's Sarah Randell, and in this editorial podcast, I talk to Balagapal Kundavara, Divisional Vice President of Financial Services at Singapore Airlines, who talks about how the company survived the pandemic by prioritizing liquidity and working capital and the current fuel hedging strategy. Elsewhere, he explains why the Treasury team are exploring long-term innovations like alternatives to credit card payments. Above all, his message is clear. Liquidity remains the priority and COVID has built a resilience that means Singapore's flagship carrier can survive most things thrown at it. Lagapol, welcome. Could you begin by talking about your treasury priorities over the last few years? Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting collapse in air travel, the demand for air travel and just operations altogether, the focus of the entire treasury team at Singapore Airlines has been on ensuring that our balance sheet remains strong and there is sufficient liquidity as we navigate through this crisis. I think for an airline, liquidity is always a very important thing to look at. Are you seeing signs of recovery? Looking forward, we've seen some recovery in international air travel. And in our latest operating statistics, uh, which is for December 2021, we have indicated that we expect our passenger capacity for this time of the year, January, February of this year, to be around 47% of what was the pre-COVID level. So that's still only about halfway there. And that's just capacity I'm talking about. Passenger loads and demand are still lagging a bit further. The trajectory at the same time, we really don't know what the recovery trajectory is going to be. And as long as that uncertainty remains in terms of the recovery trajectory for the industry, we will continue to place liquidity as our primary focus, as a key priority as we move forward. Now, once a firm recovery is underway, uh, in terms of capacity and the passenger carriage, we will turn our focus to what our medium and long-term strategy should be uh, in terms of our capital structure, liquidity strategy, and the whole works. But for now, as I said earlier, liquidity still remains our primary focus. Do you have plans to raise more liquidity and how strong is investor demand for airline debt? We have indicated to the market previously that uh, the liquidity that we hold, the last reported liquidity was in excess of 12 billion sing dollars of cash sitting on the balance sheet. Plus, uh, we have access to uh, committed lines of credit, which are all undrawn. So that gives us another 2.1 billion or so. Uh, so from a liquidity perspective alone, there is quite a good runway ahead of us. But at the same time, we also recognize that even when a recovery kicks in, it is going to be a while for operations to get back to the same level as a pre-COVID. Uh, so to answer your question, there is no immediate need for further liquidity, but we believe we would uh, you know, want to continue to be opportunistic on that front. And wherever there are windows that open up for some financing to be raised at a reasonable cost, I think we would still look to do it. Because at this point, until the industry settles and we have a much better picture of our future prospects, we would still want to uh, 
err on the side of caution and maybe hold a bit more liquidity than normal rather than trying to be very efficient about it at this point in time uh, we were one of the first few uh, i think we were probably the, among the first to actually look at fundraising when uh, the covid-19 crisis was unfolding and uh, and the first thing we did was the rights issue which is you know backstopped by our majority shareholder i think what that meant is uh, because of the buffering up that we did for the equity capital i think it also gave significant confidence and assurance to all the other stakeholders the banks the aircraft lessors and and generally our suppliers and partners so i would say uh, we have actually not seen any uh, material adverse impact in terms of uh, availability of financing or even the funding costs but we do note that there are certain parties who have actually uh, stayed away from aviation in general uh, even banks some of the banks who have said uh, they find it difficult now to get approval for uh, the industry the sector particularly uh, but having said that i think uh, we still see sufficient appetite out there as an example uh, when we did our aircraft sale lease back campaign and we executed them we closed those transactions um, you know early part of 2021 i mean the pricing that we saw from the market was very attractive and uh, you know it is not something that you would associate with uh, a period when the industry is in crisis so i think people uh, the you know the people who matter uh, were actually i think quite capable of looking beyond the crisis and uh, at the longer term prospects Several carriers changed their hedging policies after being stung by a collapse in the price of oil and demand for flying in 2020. What's been your strategy? Hedging for us whether it's a fuel or FX um, you know, we strongly believe in, in the benefits of hedging because it gives us some certainty in relation to some of the key cost or revenue elements if it's FX we are talking about. Now we had a very uh, different hedging program I think from many of the other airlines in the industry. uh we had a five year hedging book a fuel hedging book pre covid and it was really driven by a combination of a commitment to have a near term hedging program combined with an opportunistic longer term hedging program where we said you know the prices looked attractive at least from a historical perspective and so we had positions all the way five years out once covid set in and uh, the uncertainty was not just in relation to uh, oil prices but it was also in relation to the actual fuel consumption and our projections and so on projections in terms of the fuel consumption uh, we took a pause on all the hedging activities and uh, we decided to monitor developments before entering into any additional hedges now that was possible only because we already had the benefit of a hedge book uh, you know which had been taken place before the crisis after the initial phase i would say initial maybe a good part of 2020 where we saw weak oil prices we have since seen oil prices strengthen and just continue to go up we decided to use the opportunity to recalibrate our book we closed out some of the hedge positions beyond uh, the next uh, say five or six quarters the close out trades were all done in a period of rising oil prices so you've actually locked in gains from those and these will come in handy to uh, offset the fuel prices as we go forward So after the closeouts we still have a hedge book that extends for the next uh, as i said five quarters or so uh, and we are hedged between 30 to 40% at around $60 per barrel so um, those are very good positions compared to prevailing prices today as to whether 
we look at hedging beyond that. I think we have some breathing space to decide on what strategy we would want to adopt. But as I said, we believe in the benefits of uh, hedging. So, uh, you know, we are likely to still look at hedging as a useful tool from a treasury perspective. Could you talk a little about your supply chain? Would a supply chain finance program support your working capital needs? From the start of the crisis, uh, we've actually asked all our business units to work with our suppliers and partners on ideas to first defer some of the expenditure where possible, but even more importantly, try and reduce the costs even on a longer term basis. So we have looked to recalibrate some of the arrangements, uh, even renegotiate some of the contracts where possible. But I think one point I will highlight here is that uh, as an organization, the SI group, we made it a point that we would engage all these parties on a constructive bilateral basis uh, and not try to do anything on a unilateral basis because we are quite clear that we want to retain and grow these long-term relationships. Uh, that's worked very well for us. I mean, we were able to work with both Airbus and Boeing, who are one, I mean, among the biggest suppliers from our perspective. Uh, we were able to recalibrate some of our aircraft delivery streams. We didn't walk away from any of the aircraft orders, but we did recalibrate some of the delivery streams, did some swaps as well in terms of the aircraft types. Uh, and uh, essentially, you know, we just tried to remodel our aircraft delivery stream and the related capital expenditure as well. From a Singapore Airlines perspective, we, we, you know, we see suppliers maybe falling into two categories. You know, there are a few suppliers who are the big suppliers, you know, in terms of the quantum. Uh, this will be the airframe manufacturers, engine manufacturers, some of the maintenance service providers, fuel suppliers. And then, of course, you have a lot of other suppliers who supply a lot of the other items that we use for our operations. But again, the quantum is a bit different. So at this point, uh, I wouldn't say that we have seen a very clear need for a supply chain finance program out there. We understand there are many parties out there who would be interested in you know, making use of it. But uh, uh, at this point, it's not really come up as a key requirement from any of our business units. So that's why I said uh, we are actually looking at it more from a, an initiative that Treasury could help to roll out uh, and help the company from a working capital perspective. But again, as I said, this is probably more of a medium to long-term thing. Is your Treasury exploring alternatives to credit card payments for customer payments? Other carriers are working to avoid these hefty payment processing fees and say fees to payment providers are a big component of their costs. Oh, it's definitely something on our radar. In fact, so we have a dedicated e-commerce team uh, that actively monitors uh, new payment methods uh, across the you know the different markets that we operate in, and we have been rolling out new payment methods uh, you know where appropriate, depending on the markets we are operating. And uh, the finance team, including the treasury folks, uh, we get involved in the implementation of such payment methods. So uh, e-commerce team functions like an internal customer to us when they want to implement such payment methods. Now, you know, specifically in relation to credit card payments and some of the industry-wide initiatives, I mean, IATA pays an example. Uh, we are supportive of such initiatives, and uh, I know the team is looking at uh, strategies to try and implement it. So, yes, we are definitely active in that space, uh, but we're also closely watching how the market is also evolving on the space. I think as an industry, it's a cost that people need to be mindful of, and uh, if there are initiatives out there which help to reduce the basically the costs involved 
because this industry in general, uh, you know, the margins have always been very thin. So I think any initiative that actually goes towards improving the economics of our sales and our general operations, I think we would be quite keen to embrace it. How is Treasury integrating sustainability? We have been very focused on sustainability goals, even as we navigated the crisis. It's a very important issue to us as a company, but also to our customers, staff, and all stakeholders. So in fact, in December 2019, we set up a dedicated sustainability office to coordinate and spearhead all our ESG-related efforts. Now, COVID came in shortly thereafter, but that has not stopped this team from carrying on in that process. Uh, In fact, uh, just last year, we have committed to a net zero target for 2050. Uh, From a treasury perspective, uh, we've also observed that uh, the global finance sector is also rapidly embracing the sustainability costs. And it's actually now become a key part of all our conversations with banks, lessors, investors, analysts, everybody. Uh, So from our perspective, uh, we continue to explore for opportunities for sustainability-linked transactions from our end. Uh, But we are very clear also that we want the overall sustainability effort, the overall sustainability team that leads the effort to kind of lead the company in terms of long-term targets, the long-term roadmap. And from a treasury perspective, we try to align our financing activities and any other discussions that we have with this overall roadmap that the team is putting together. Are you planning any sustainability-linked issuance? Uh, I, I laugh only because uh, it's a topic that comes up in every conversation that we have at the bank, <laughs> with any bank. Uh, I think the question has always been, what is the right structure for such an instrument? As I said, we don't want to be setting targets uh, that are not yet uh, adopted at the organization level. So it is really about finding targets or finding structures which work for us within the existing sustainability framework. You know, I mean, if I just talk about sustainability for one second, you know, there's this whole discussion about how long are carbon credits considered useful from a sustainability. I mean, we definitely see it as a a short-term to medium-term measure to achieve some of the sustainability ambitions. But in the longer term, we are still looking for other measures like sustainable aviation fuel, for example. Um, so I think that does raise questions from a financing perspective as to uh, what is the right structure. We've seen a few transactions here, whether it's out of the aviation sector or otherwise. I think I'll just say that we'll keep our eyes and ears open. Uh, and if something does come along, we'll definitely want to do it. But uh, we're not letting that drive our financing activities. And lastly, what has COVID taught you? For an airline like ours, you know, airline that operates only international flights. So the impact of COVID was, you know, quite significant. And uh, we rely on border control measures uh, being relaxed for us to, you know, put our flights back and so on. So clearly COVID was an experience, um, you know, it basically showed us that the definition of crisis, as we have known it in the past, when we do our own planning and so on, the whole thing needs to be relooked at because, you know, we now have a new definition of how bad things could be. But as an airline, and importantly, an organization uh, which has always believed in you know, ensuring strong financial fundamentals, the COVID-19 pandemic has raised questions on how we should look at our capital structure and liquidity strategy and so on in the longer run. Again, as I said, at this point, because recovery is still uncertain, at least the trajectory is uncertain, so liquidity is still our primary focus. But in due course, as we come out of the pandemic, Uh, I think this will be a key aspect 
of our treasury strategy and i would say you know my team and i you know we we look forward to grappling those questions and any others as they come along lagapol thank you so much You've been listening to an editorial podcast with Balagapol Kundavara from Singapore Airlines and me, Sarah Rondell. Don't forget to subscribe to the Treasury Today podcast channel to get further episodes in this series. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.